Hola, hola, hola. Hey, hey, everyone. And welcome to episode 11, Moving the Fuck On. So I feel that this episode is pretty relevant to everyone because I'm covering, I'm going to be covering like different things that you're moving on from. It can be a lover, like a relationship, a friendship breakdown, you know, when you have a breakup with your best friend or a friendship group, moving on from say like you lived in another city and then you've come home and now you're just hating on your home city because the other city was so much better and you can't move on from that. Um, a job, school, uni, a, a period of time in your life that you're just attached to uh, and I'm going to be going over different kind of attachment styles and where they stem from and why and kind of the neuroscience behind all of that. So pretty relevant to most people, I would imagine. Um, Bit of an update on my life. So the last week, yeah, I've pretty much just been settling into my apartment, which I'm loving sick. Um, Trying to get my other place covered because I actually moved out before the rent at my other place was up. I was living with two other girls. So I'm actually currently paying double rent, um, which is not ideal. But at the same time, I'm not stressed about it at all because this is what I talked about in episode one of Taking a Leap of Faith. You need to make a calculated risk. So when I moved, I thought, okay, there's a chance that I'm going to have to pay, if I don't get my room covered, two months of double rent. And I had some money put aside. I ideally don't want to spend all that money on rent, obviously. However, the place that I've moved into is literally such a rare find that if I was to wait the two months, I've looked at everything else on the market, nothing compared, nothing compared. This thing is a gem, okay? So I thought, am I willing to foot that bill to get my dream apartment? Yes, I am. So every time I kind of think, oh, I still haven't found someone to cover the room, I think, no, think back about when you made the decision. It was a calculated risk and it's stuff that I'm prepared to lose. You know how I talk about in episode one, what are you prepared to lose and then draw the line? This is money that I was prepared to lose. So I'm not too stressed about it. And when it comes to losing things, money is one of the things that I'm not too, too, too worried about. You can't get too attached to money. Um, you don't want to be a povo bitch, obviously, but when possible, just, you know, like my mum always says, more was lost in the war. Like, don't fret too much. If you lose money in a certain situation, you just got to put shit into perspective and being like, this is literally what I'm going through right now is a first world luxury problem. So if I get the place covered, great. If I don't, not the end of the world, I'm living in my dream apartment and I've only got a couple of weeks left of this. So that is currently what I'm going through trying to get my room covered. And it's a bit annoying because people will be like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm definitely keen. I want to come and inspect the place. And then you go there and then they're just like, don't rock up. Send a text message. How hard is it to send a text message to someone being like, hey, I'm not going to be there. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. So guys, if you're ever going to leave someone high and dry, send them a text message. People have an issue in this world with communication and my goal in life is to a obviously get people to change their relationships with themselves but b learn how to communicate properly because it's crucial um what else something that i've been asked quite often is advice on like give people ideas on like what podcasts i listen to and what books i read 
Now, I feel that my answer may be disappointing just because I think that given what I speak about on my podcasts, I think people think that I read books like that and I listen to podcasts similar to mine. I don't at all. Just because because I live and breathe self-help and all of that, it's kind of like I'm doing it all the time. I love it. But then when I go and do my podcasting, I kind of want to step completely out of that world and delve into another world altogether. So Books-wise, the last year, all I've been reading is the principles of neuroscience and pharmacology and like full-on textbooks. So that is not going to be of interest. However, I have been reading a Ernest Hemingway book that one of my best friends gave me on my birthday and it's called A Movable Feast and it's a fiction – I mean a non-fiction, sorry um, – novel by Ernest Hemingway and he writes about his time in Paris. So – Obviously, my friend Sophie, she knows how obsessed I am with Paris. She gave me this book and it is just a trip down memory lane and I fucking love it. Uh, but that's really the only, you know, novel that I've written re- read in a long time. The rest has been like textbook after textbook after textbook. And while I'm studying, it's probably going to be that way. So book ideas, I'm not very helpful with that. Um, I also did start reading Becoming Supernatural by jo- Dr. Joe Dispenza. That's a very intense read. It's great and there's a lot behind it but you kind of need to really – it's not one of those books to take your mind of, you know, something stressful. It's a book that you're like, right, I'm going to commit. I'm going to sit the fuck down and pay attention because it's pretty intense. And then podcasts, obviously I listen to Happy Hour with Lucy and Nikki. That's like all-time favorite. Love, love, love those girls. I feel like I'm chatting to them in person when I'm listening to their podcast. Um – but then anything wondery I'm really into, like the Balco scandal, that shit's great, Bad Batch, Business Wars. Um, I also like Crime Junkie, that's a really good one if you're into like murder stories, that's a fucking vibe. Um, and then, yeah, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, some of those episodes and some of the people that she speaks to I'm really into. And then some goop episodes, definitely not all of them, I'm quite like flippant when it comes to podcasts I give it like 15 minutes max and then I just tap the fuck out um yeah and I don't know I'm one of those people that I'm so stingy with my time that if someone tells me to watch a tv show but they're like oh it just takes like three or four episodes to get good you've lost me there you fucking lost me I'm just gonna risk never watching a tv show that takes that long to get good I'm just not gonna watch it like if if it takes investing that much time to watch rubbish for it to get good I just won't watch it and most of my like free watching time on when I'm like going to bed is you know TED talks or like epics talks about the brain and neuroscience and shit like that, that when I do watch something on Netflix, like you better captivate my attention or I'm tapping the fuck out. Um, having said that, love a good keeping up with the Kardashians as well. So those are my two extremes. Um, give me some trash TV, too hot to handle on Netflix. Like tr- like it's got to be the trashiest of trash or the most intellectual mind fuck ever. But don't give me this in between. Don't give me that. I'll be bored. Um, yeah, wow, I think I'm contradicting myself, but it's just the truth. It's the truth. Um, so let's just get into it. Let's get into the actual podcast topic, moving the fuck on. So the first one I'm going to cover is moving on from, um, life experiences or situations or eras in your life. 
Uh, then I'm going to cover moving on from a friendship or like a friendship breakdown uh, and then moving on from a breakup as well. Okay, so the first one is moving on from a time in your life. So that's kind of those people that live in the past. Are you one of those people that glorify an era in your time that was they were the good days and now it's no longer the good days, you poor victim. It's not the good days anymore. You know, high school, oh, you know, if only we could go back to high school. They were the good days. I know people that legitimately still, I'm 31, who are my age and glorify high school. I'm like, are you kidding, mate? Was that the best time of your life, high school? Like, don't get me wrong. I had a very good time in high school. But that by no stretch of the imagination was the peak of my life. If you are living in the past thinking that that was the time, then you are dissatisfied with your present reality. That is a huge alarm bell saying change something about your life because you're not happy. There's something going on here that I don't like that I'm glorifying some shit that went down in the past as better than what my current reality is. So if you are currently right now magnifying a time in your life that you're thinking, well, those were the days, then you are A, struggling to be, a pre- to be present and B, you're unhappy with certain aspects of your life. So you need to do a bit of a check on what it is that you need to change because unless you're the one making the change – not much is going to change. You're just going to keep being reactive to your current reality while your memories and when you think back about something good, it's kind of very much in your control. You can be very selective about what you choose to remember. So always keep in mind that when you are nostalgic about something or when you are glorifying the past, just be aware of how biased your mind can be. You have all the control because you only select the memories that serve you to prove your point that it was better. Whereas in your current reality, you're just being reactive. So you feel that you have no control. So you can't compare the two. You can't compare, oh, I'm choosing all these good memories. Forget about all the shit times. Forget about, you know, all the rubbish. But the good memories, oh, how good was that? And now look at my current reality where I'm having to deal with all this shit left, right and center. So it's an unfair comparison. So unless you bring in your control and you start being active instead of reactive – Um, to situations that are occurring in your present reality, then you're never going to change. It's always going to be like that. The past is always going to be better than the present. You're never going to learn how to be present and your good days are over. They're over. So what's the point? What's the point now? They're all over. So, you know, that's a very sad mentality. So I'm going to basically try and help you reassess your current reality and see where you can make some changes so you're a little bit happier with where you are versus trying to compare it with other times in your life. Now, let's use an example. Like, for example, let's use um, you lived abroad for a year, two years, whatever, and now you've had to come home. Let's use London as the city of example, okay? You've lived abroad, lived in London. It was great. You had the best time. Your visa ran up and then you have to come back to Australia. Now, you weren't ready to return to Australia and now – You're always comparing Australia with London. You're comparing the nightlife. You're comparing the jobs, how fun the pubs are, the what you could get up to on the weekend. You're comparing all this stuff. And it's like, 
that's fine if you want to compare. Obviously, you do what you want to do. But again, you've got this heavy bias towards all the good things. Like I can guarantee you, you're not comparing the negative. You know, it's it's confirmation bias what you're doing. You you only pick out all the things that you love and every time you remember something that you loved about London, you're like, oh, but it, it's not like that here. And then that was really good in London. It's not like that here. But then when something's better here than it was in London, you just don't mention it. Like the weather, you just don't mention it. You forget to mention the fact that, you know, it's sunny most of the time here and it's not there or, or that, you know, the days are long or whatever. I don't care. I don't know. I, I've never lived there, so I don't know. But... What I'm saying is that when the comparisons are not in your favor, you don't voice them, not to yourself and not to other people. So apart from the fact that you're a boring fuck, always talking about how shitty, like I've got people that are so obsessed with the city that they used to live in or a country that they used to live in and put down the current city that they're living in, that I happen to live in, that I'm like, be gone with your negative energy. I live here and I actually like it. So fuck off. You know what I mean? It's, I don't, you know, you, you, you're not a fun person to be around if you're glorifying other things other than the present moment. And I don't think people realise how much of a mood killer they are when they talk about how shit a place is that they live in to people that also live in that place or where they talk about how shit their current life situation is with people that are currently sharing a similar situation. You are a really you like you're a, you're a Debbie Downer you're a dampener on the mood and you're going to be invited less and less often like here's a big one and I'm not accusing you all of doing this but a lot of people are like oh, I struggle to make friends what's your language like what are you negative or are you positive do you talk about the past all the time or are you trying to make new experiences like check yourself before you wreck yourself are you fun to be around and this is a huge one stop thinking that the good days are over or the good experiences are done and now everything's shit. I can assure you that if you tried, you could find a lot of good about your current situation. And if you can't, get off your ass and start to take action to change it. Don't sit there. Don't dwell. Regardless, regardless, if you need to change where you are because it's shit or if you refuse to change where you are because you feel like there's nothing you can do about it, there's no point talking about it. You're either actioning something to change it or you're deciding, no, nah, I'm going to wallow here and stay in, in my misery and not make it better. In which case, stop talking about it then because if you're not going to action it and you're just prepared to hate it, good on you. Internalize that shit. Stop boring people around you. You know, it's one of those things that and, – and if it's a situation that you can't change, learn to live with it. There are certain situations in life that you can't change and you resisting it, resisting it, resisting it is going to cause you more stress than learning how to live with it. So, for example, I moved to Paris, came back to Australia, moved back to Paris because I loved it so much and I had a one-year visa, like a working visa and I had to come back early. I'm not going to bore you with the details but I had to come back early and... I was pretty, like, I knew I had cut the trip too short. I knew for a fact I had cut the trip too short. Um, and I had to at the time. But given the kind of visa it was, it was a working holiday visa, I could never get that visa again. So I kind of cut it way too short, 
can never go back on that visa again to work in Paris. Now, I could get really upset about that or I could think, wow, what a mood that was. That was such a good time. I'm always going to hold that as a beautiful memory in my life. Hopefully, I can return to Paris soon. But now I'm living in Sydney. So what's up with my new reality? What am I going to do about it? Because do you know how easy it would be to just sit and whinge to all the people that also live in Sydney about how, oh, Paris, like, shut up, shut up. And I'm sure either if you guys don't do this, you know someone that does. And fuck, it's annoying. I think we can all agree. It's annoying. Um, okay, so first things first, learn how to change your language. One thing that I always say when people ask me, oh, would you live here again? Would you live there again? Would you live there again? Because I've lived in obviously many different cities. My response is, I have loved everywhere I have lived. And it's actually the truth. I've lived in Sydney, Noosa, Brisbane, Sydney again, Paris, Sydney, Paris, um, Los Angeles, back to Sydney. Every place I lived, I loved. And it's the truth. And maybe it's because of the attitude you bring to the table or maybe it's because I just was lucky and had great experiences. But I think it's more so what you bring. I think energy is returned to you. So if you bring, whether it's to a person or to a location, if you bring good energy to a location, you're going to reap that energy back. It's just going to get bounced back to you. If you go to a place and think how shit it is, of course, it's going to be shit. So now use that information about where you currently live. If you're talking about how much better another city was, you're throwing off the energy that this city or this location where you live is not good enough for you. So what are you going to get? You're only going to focus on things that are going to reinforce your confirmation bias that the other location was better. The bus takes too long to arrive. Ah, fuck, public transport's fucking shit here. You know, that you get in the car to go somewhere, ah, fuck, traffic's fucked. Like as if there wasn't traffic in the other place. You know, like you're always going to focus on things that infuriate you about this city which then lead on to other things. Like I said, you're throwing that energy out there. So what happens? You get tenfold more reasons to get annoyed at the city that you live in. And then those reasons give you more reasons and it's an avalanche. So you need to look at your language. If you are thinking that the city that you live in, like, and look, I'm, I'm going to be fair here. I'm sure that there are some locations out there that are fucking shit. Move then. Pause this episode, go and listen to episode one, Taking a Leap of Faith, and do what you need to do to change your reality. However, if you are choosing to live in the city that you're living but being sour about it, pay attention to your language. I want you to every day when you wake up, think about five things that you love about the city. Five things. It might just be a certain walk that you take that's really beautiful, that's not like any other place in the world. Go take that walk often. And it's going to make you change your relationship towards that city. You start thinking beautiful things about it. Start going, start finding like more of a community in your city. Start finding your local cafe. Get to know the name of the, the person that makes your coffee. So then you get this nice morning routine. Then you start feeling a part of your city instead of against it. So location-wise, that would be my advice to you. Start changing your language, number one, but also become involved become involved with the city and how can you sort of change your attitude towards it and be, and start loving it and if you're sitting there thinking there's no way in hell I can do that because I hate it so much 
then move. Move cities. Even if you can't move back to your other city that you love so much because it's a visa situation or whatever, then move to another city in the same country that you live in. But move. But you need to realize that if you don't move and you choose to still hate the city that you live in, then you're playing the role of the victim by choice. And that's a place that you never want to be in. Um, So, yeah. Next thing that you want to do is if you are – so that was – we're talking about location there. If you are glorifying a time in your life, like high school, like uni, say you have children now and you were glorifying the time that you didn't have children, it's kind of – if you're talking about a time that's past, an era of your life that's past, that you can never get back. For example, we can't turn back time. We can't get back to high school. You can't get back to a time where you didn't have children, um, uni, all those things. Then it means that you have not, you're not present. You haven't come to terms with your current reality and you're choosing to be aversive towards it. You're resisting. Like look at something like children. That's a huge responsibility and I think a lot of people feel guilty because of course they love their children but they also miss their life where they didn't have dependence. That is a situation where you're going to have to learn to be more present. You're going to have to learn to accept your reality for what is and again change your language, change your attitude, change your routines change your mindset because if you don't you're going to always be living in the past you're always going to be glorifying a time that you imagined was better than the time is now but the reality is that you are living a whole new reality a whole new life especially when it comes to something like children so what do we do about this you need to look back at the time that you're considering to be the best time of your life which no longer is And you need to pinpoint what attributes of that time were there emotionally. So was it, it's just that there was so much freedom back then. Like I had so much freedom. Or I was just very carefree back then. That's why. Like there's an emotion to it and you need to pinpoint that emotion. You can't just think, oh, it was great because it was. Do the work. Think back to the time and what is it emotionally that you felt that made that time so good. Freedom is one of the big ones that a lot of people will go back to. I was just free then. I didn't have financial responsibilities. I didn't have dependence. I didn't have, you know, so much responsibility over. A lot of people think that now that they have responsibilities, it's just not quite as fun as it was back in the high school days or whatever. But the truth of the matter is that you're always going to have responsibilities. And if you shy away from responsibilities, then you are you are telling yourself that you are scared of growth, that you are fearful, you're coming from a place of fear. Responsibilities exist always. Even when you're in high school, you responsi- your responsibilities are to follow the rules of the household, of your parents. When you have you know, then when you move out, okay, your responsibilities might be bills or rent or a mortgage. Obviously, when you have dependents, you're responsible for them. But there's always going to be responsibilities. And to shy away from responsibilities is to say, I don't want to grow. I don't want to grow. So then that attitude, that language, you stay small, you stay safe. 
and you think back at the times where you think you had no major responsibilities when you actually did have them but you're just not thinking about it but your responsibilities might have changed now and you're looking at that as the weight that's holding you down from actually you know living your best life but the truth of the matter is if you take on responsibilities properly that is your ticket to freedom being accountable is your ticket to freedom having your shit together and being responsible for your own shit is your ticket to freedom having no responsibilities would mean that you're a child essentially and that's not freedom you're living by the rules of your parents so Stop thinking that responsibilities equals weighing you down. They are your ticket to freedom. The more responsible you can be over your life, over yourself, over your emotions, over your mindset and your attitudes, the more freedom you will have. So turn around what you think responsibility means because it's a blessing and stop being so ungrateful that you have them. The alternative is being dead for God's sake. So We all have responsibilities. That is your freedom. Look at it that way. Okay, topic number two is going to be friendship breakups or it might not even be a dramatic friendship breakup, but it's the dissolving of a friendship as you know it or kind of the fading away of a friendship as you know it. The first big time that this happens for a lot of people is after high school. You know, you have this group of friends that you think are going to be there forever and then you kind of branch off yet you don't put in the effort to keep in touch mutually and that fades away. That's one of the the best initial examples of that happening as them fading away. But then there's also times where you have really good friendships and then something dramatic happens in order for that to break down and you feel like you've been cut out of someone's life unnecessarily or uh, they just stopped including you in certain things and it can be quite painful especially if that person was a big part of your life there are many different scenarios and I don't need to cover them all I'm sure that depending on whatever you've lived you can apply that to what I'm talking about but what you need to think about when it comes to friendships is that similar to a relationship but slightly different because you're not sort of trying to build a life together you're just living concurrently and enjoying each other's company it's a bit different to a romantic relationship with humans with all humans we nothing is permanent absolutely nothing is permanent in life so everything is always going to be in a state of flux that there are so many moving factors that could cause someone to change you to change that person to feel certain things about the relationship, they may feel suddenly insecure towards you or on the contrary, if you happen to be toxic, they may feel that you are a dead weight that's making them feel shit. You know, because a lot of the time when I speak to you guys, I'm presuming that you're the good person in this scenario, but you've always got to take into account that you might be the shit person in this scenario. You might be the toxic friend that's weighing them down. You might be the dead weight or they are the dead weight. But there's always, you know, or not always, but often there's a reason why someone doesn't want to hang out with someone else either because you're flying high and they just are not on that level and they feel insecure around you so they want to either cut you down or cut you off or 
you're not a very nice or fun person to be around. So regardless, I'm sure you know which category you sit in, but you've got to be aware that if it's a friendship that cannot be salvaged or if it's something that's faded away and can't come back, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because we're constantly in a state of flux, you've got to look at everything as being impermanent. Nothing is permanent. You can't expect a friendship. While friendships can last forever, you can't expect it to be the same. I've got friends that I've been so tight with. I'm talking like we see each other five times a week. We're constantly working out together. You know, we go out for breakfast and they're like, what are you doing? Like it's just we're so tight. Then they might get into a really intense relationship and I kind of drop off the radar. But it's not a bad thing. I kind of, I don't attach myself to the friendship. I don't attach myself, I don't make that friendship part of my re- part of my identity it's something that I have and that I really love but if someone's really tied up with their partner and they're one of those people that are really hectic in a relationship and they don't really reach out to their friends anymore again nothing's permanent so I kind of look at it as like well that's her thing that she needs to do and she's going to go and do that and then all of a sudden Eight months later, we're back into each other's lives, seeing each other all the time, every day. It's just a great time. Some people don't like that. Some people think, oh, if she shuts me out for a boyfriend, that's it. She's done. She's cut out. And then that's your choice. And that's the the dissolving of that friendship. For me, I don't look at it that way. I personally don't really, because I don't attach myself to it. If someone palms me off to be with their boyfriend, you know, and then it's months go by. I'm not really too upset about them. Do I miss them? Yes, of course, I'm human. I'm not some cold-hearted bitch. Yes, I miss them. And yes, I'll reach out a couple of times. But if I see that it's just not the right time in their lives, I'm just going to leave it. I don't look at it as anything negative or, or mean. And I just trust that if it's meant to be, then in the future we'll regain that kind of connection that we had. And if it's not meant to be, then... You know, our lives just went in different directions and forcing it isn't going to help anything. You've just got to come to terms with the fact that it's not personal. And, oh, look, wait, wait, hold up. It's often not personal. Like I said before, if you're the toxic psycho, then it's definitely fucking personal. And so they should have dumped you if you're toxic. However, if it's one of those things like a boyfriend or they've moved away and just, you know, and you've also got to give other people a bit of slack. Like if someone's moved to another city and they just stop contacting you, you're not the only thing in their life. You know, there's a lot going on and it doesn't mean that they like you or love you any less. But when someone moves somewhere or goes somewhere, there's so many moving factors in their life right now. And the most beautiful thing is to have a friend that can be okay with them not contacting them for a while and then when you're ready to contact each other, you're there. Some of my best friendships are the ones that we can go months with no contact and then when we see each other, it's this beautiful thing like it never left, like we never left the conversation, you know. The less attached you are, the less you make your friendship part of your identity – the more freedom you give the other person to just be them and they can come and go into your life. If you 
be, make it a negative thing and they leave your life for a certain thing and then you think, that's it, you're fucked now, you're fucked, I'm cutting you out of my life, you abandoned me. Then, then it's done. Then the friendship is done. Yeah, and the chances of you rekindling things, probably not going to happen. They're probably going to be like, well, too much drama. I'm not going to go back in there. You're feeling spiteful being like, don't you dare come back into my life. So, of course, that's not going to happen. Of course, the friendship has died. But, yeah, I think you've got to allow for a lot of flux within your friendships and you have need to stop attaching yourself to what that person does. They are their own person. They have their own reality, their own distractions, their own relationships outside of you. Now... If we're talking about a situation where a friend, for whatever reason, has decided to cut you out of their life, they've found friends that they're so, um, like they found a new group of friends, for example. I had someone message me recently talking about how their friend kind of started hanging out with this new group of friends, friends and started getting phased out of their life. And they found it so painful because we're talking about best friends here and one of them's just, you know, met a new group of friends. And it's so, so painful that I agree 100% that is painful that would suck and I'm not standing here saying oh my god water if a duck's back it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it matters it does matter and it hurts and if it was such a close friendship and all of a sudden they're able to cut you from their lives that sucks and I do really feel sorry for people that are put in that situation because it's not nice but how are you going to react to the situation that's all you can control right now. How are you going to react? And I'm not talking about initial reaction. We're all human here. You can kick and scream and whatever initially. But once you've had your original meltdown, now how are you going to react moving forward from the situation? Because if someone has that kind of mentality that they're able to think, no, nah, I don't, like I need to move on from this. I found this other group of friends, we're done. Then you've got to look at it as for whatever reason, the friendship that you had wasn't serving that person anymore. And you might need to take a look at yourself or maybe they had demons and they couldn't like internal demons and they couldn't handle the, but irrelevant, the relationship for what it was, whether it was your fault or whether it was their fault, whether it was your actions, whether it was their actions, if someone's going to abandon you for another group of friends, regardless of the reason, it means that th your friendship wasn't serving them anymore and again like I said nothing's permanent you've just got to let it go what I don't recommend you do is go on a rampage lashing out and abusing them and you're fucked and this and that you're cooked whatever don't bitch about them don't try and turn people against them just let it be just accept what is it doesn't mean that you're going to be thrilled about it. You might still be heartbroken, but the ability to accept what is, is magical. You can still be sad. You can let yourself cry about it. You can grieve the friendship, but don't throw gasoline onto the fire. You know, if you're feeling upset about something, don't turn people against that person. Don't try and, you know, get other people to agree with, you know, don't start thinking that they're evil. Don't think this, don't think that. Just think, for whatever reason, as fucked as it is and as much as I miss them, they've tapped out of this friendship. I've tried in a nice way to rekindle it and they've said, nah, it's done. So either I'm toxic or they're toxic or for whatever reason, this relationship didn't serve them. Regardless, now that it's done, there's really nothing you can do about it. If you were the toxic person, the only thing you can do is send a very heartfelt apology calling yourself out on your bullshit. But apart from that, if you're not the toxic person and you had no negative role to play in the friendship, 
then maybe they're doing you a favor. Because if there's someone that for no reason whatsoever, no apparent reason, they're able to tap the fuck out of your life, then they're not a friend that's serving you either. That's not a great friendship to serve you if they're going to be like, bye, I'm still having all this fun, but I don't want you in it. Be gone, you know, au revoir, bye Felicia. I don't need to involve you in drama. I don't need to make, you know, rumors about you. I don't need to get anyone else hating on you. I'm also going to remove myself from this situation too. So you might have been the original one to do it, but I'm now actively going to decide to also not reach out to you, not contact you, wish you all the best, but goodbye. So you've got to always look at friendships as they're in a state of flux. They might return to be what they were or they might return in your life to serve a different kind of friendship in your life as a more adult friendship later down the track. Okay, so that's friendships. And then lastly, I'm going to be talking about relationships. I'm not going to delve in way too hectically with relationships because as far as getting over you know, like a heartbreak. I'm just going to generalize because I've got the Heartbreak Hacks podcast and I don't want to be repeating myself too much. Um, And I am going to eventually release a Heartbreak Hacks number two podcast. What I'm kind of going to be talking about here is moving on, not just from a heartbreak, so not from necessarily a relationship that is included in this, but also from unrequited love. I think we've all been there, or at least we know someone who has fallen so hard for someone and they can't move on. Even if they never dated that person, maybe they had a friendship or a connection or maybe they went on a date or two and then the person was like, yeah, look, I don't want to get into a relationship with you and then you absolutely cannot move on. That's kind of what I'm covering here. All aspects of moving on from an emotional attachment to someone romantically, whether you dated them or whether you didn't. So certain things that we go through when we struggle to move on from something, even if it was the shortest lived relationship ever, is that often you hold that person above you. In other words, you consider that at the time you were punching and they were a catch. So your idea of what you are worthy of receiving is set at a standard And then if you receive something better than what your standard is, then you are surprised and amazed and so excited and you really hold on to this. And then when you lose it, you feel devastated because you think that was a fluke to get that. That's not my standard. I was punching. That person was higher than what I'm worthy of receiving. So now the chances of me getting someone that good again are slim because that's not my normal. That's not what I'm worthy of. So if you keep thinking that these people that you meet, start talking to are a rare find, you're telling yourself, I'm actually not worthy. That's rare. That person's so this, so that, so whatever. And it's not to say that you can't feel grateful for the people that you're dating and you can't think of them as amazing, but you can't put them above you because the moment you put someone else above you, as in they're a catch and they're, I'm not normally worthy of that, then you screw yourself. You fuck yourself over because you act differently in the relationship and then you struggle to get over them if the relationship dissolves. Because 
of how you perceive yourself. So like I say, so much of everything that I talk about comes down to your relationship with yourself. If you had a very comfortable relationship with yourself and you had a really healthy amount of self-love, you knew what you wanted, you know what you don't want, you know what you have to offer, you hold yourself in a high esteem, then someone ending a relationship, especially if it's early days and especially if you only went on a couple of dates, you might be like, oh, that's a shame. Like I'm actually a little bit bummed about this because that person was you know, really cool and I would have liked to explore that with them. And you'll probably be bummed for a little bit just because you miss that, you know, contact that you had with the person. But you're not going to dwell on like a three-date thing six months later. There's no chance that you would, not a fucking chance, because you would be on to the next, not necessarily the next person, but on to the next topic. You'd be thinking about other things. You would have moved on. You would have moved on. Because your relationship with yourself determines your ability to move on from things. If you think that you're worthy of great relationships again and again and again, then this one's just like one of the potential few that just didn't work. But the next one may, not a big deal. If you think of yourself as lesser than the person that you were dating, you think, fuck, I fucked it, I fucked it. I need to know why, I need an answer because unless I get an answer, I'm never going to know why I fucked it and then, you know, like I'm never going to get someone like this roll around again. You, you're, the standard that you've set for yourself is low. That anyone slightly above that standard, you think, ah, ah, tread on water, oh my God, this person's amazing and then you behave differently. You're not your authentic self. You're acting like this person's better than you when, you're, when they're not. Well, ideally, you hope that that's not how you feel, you know. And ultimately you are coming from a place of fear. If you're thinking, I'm never going to get a person like that again, then it's going to take you so much longer to move the fuck on from something. Now, if we're talking about a long-term relationship that's like years and it was really painful, I would actually go and listen to Heartbreak Hacks because that's a lot more in-depth. I'm kind of talking about the ability to move on to an emotional attachment from someone, even if it was very, very short-lived. And it really does come down to your relationship with yourself. And you need to find or, or kind of write down what is your self-talk. When you are, if you're on a dating app or when you start dating someone, do you perceive these people to be better than you, to be the catch and you're punching? What is the language that you're telling yourself? Or do you often tell yourself, oh, I'm worthy of being loved by legends. I'm worthy of having like a really good partner because I know what I can bring to the table. So I know that I'm worthy of at least the same, which is a lot. And then you don't feel that that was a one-off. The only time you're really going to get super attached and not be able to let go of someone is if you think that that was a one-off and that was a fluke. So change your language because if you had really level, really high levels of self-love, you'd never think that about yourself. You would never think, I've lost my opportunity with someone good. That's a terrible thing to say to yourself. And that means that you need to work on your self-love. You don't need to work on anything to do with dating. You don't need to work on anything that happened with that person. Let it go. It's done. What's done is done. But you need to turn it around and work on yourself. Because if it's four months, six months, one year down the track from something that was short-lived, then you've got serious issues with your self-esteem. And you're not being fair on yourself. You are giving, you are being so mean to yourself. It's ridiculous. Are you on your side or not? And 
most likely the answer is going to be no, I'm not on my side. And this is why I'm struggling to move on because I keep putting myself down. I keep blaming myself for the breakdown of this, whatever it was. I keep, you know, thinking that I was lucky to have them. That's a bad mental state to be in. Change your language to yourself. Change your the conversations that you have with yourself and that will change. The people that are going to come into your life will change. The people you attract are going to change. You'll be amazed who and what you can attract by changing your expectations. If you start expecting good relationships, expecting to be desired, expecting to have fun with people when you're dating, that's going to start coming. If you look at those things as like, oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be lucky? Then on the off chance that you do get it, they're probably going to be repelled thinking, oh, this person's like too needy or they're too clingy or they're too whatever because you repel people with that attitude. So that might, like sometimes if, if you don't have a high level of self-love, then when you get into a relationship, they sense that. They sense that you're, too, you're, you're desperate or you're clingy or you're, you're needy. But if you're comfortable with who you are, you don't need to cling. You don't, you're not needy because you, you're aware. If it works, great. If it doesn't, well, you're not one in a million, mate. So I am going to, you know, have opportunities with many other people. So I don't need to be desperate here. I'm good. But you don't feel that way if you think poorly of yourself. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about the psychology behind like attachment styles and kind of neuroscience. So in psychology, we talk about the four main attachment styles and often not always but often they start in childhood depending on how you're raised and because this is very emotional it often does have a lot to do with what kind of style you were raised by your parents now again like I always say it's not to say that this can't change but it's really good to recognize these things to then be able to rewire those patterns and change your behavior towards other people and how you display your attachment towards people and then like I always say with enough repetition with enough kind of rewiring of those pathways that then becomes your new norm but until you're able to recognize it the likelihood of you changing it you know is going to be low so the four styles and I'll go into them in detail you've got secure attachment style as number one and that's kind of where you're resilient you're not reactive you're confident this is kind of where you want to get to. So you either were raised like this or it's where you want to get to. Then you've got the anxious attachment style. So that's where you kind of, it's turbulent, you're hungry for those emotions. I'll go into that in a bit. Then you've got dismissive or avoidant. Um, and then you've got fearful avoidant attachment style. So let's start with secure attachment style. So when you're a child, if you have grown up as an adult with secure attachment style, it's likely that your parents were quite emotionally nurturing. They nurtured your emotions and they also supported you through your emotions. So they allowed you to cry and they supported you through that. They would, you know, embrace your happiness and your happy moments. They basically were like really open emotionally. So as a child, you always felt really safe around your parents, safe to express any emotion that you wanted to express. Um, so if you then grow up with a secure attachment style, then you kind of have like a quite a healthy relationship with your emotions. You're not afraid to tap out of a relationship um, that's not serving you because you can recognize it's not good for you. This is toxic. I can step away and I am going to be fine. I don't need it. Yeah, um, and you're okay with being rejected as well. So 
overall you're going to have a lot healthier relationships if you have secure attachment style because it's all about if they're toxic, you're happy to step away and if they work for you, then you're happy to really nurture it and be quite open and vulnerable in that scenario. So that's secure attachment style. Then you've got anxious attachment style. So that's if your parents, if a child has it, it's where parents sort of display really inconsistent like emotional um, availability to their children. So sometimes they're quite loving and sometimes they're just quite dismissive of their children and it's like this push and pull. So it's really confusing for a child and they can be felt like they can feel quite rejected or neglected a little bit because of that. So if so because of that, the as you grow up, if you still follow that anxious attachment style through to adulthood, then you're always needing reassurance to feel comfortable within yourself. So you need that external reassurance from other people. So the child needed it from their parents because it was inconsistent. So then you seek that out in your partner. You don't trust people because you have a difficult time believing when they say that they love you and they're always going to be there for you, you don't believe it. You think, oh, but you're going to turn around tomorrow and not be that way. Um, So you struggle to feel safe, secure. You struggle to have that bond. Um, And then this causes you to either be quite clingy or possessive. Um, So... Yeah, you're always living in fear of being rejected or abandoned by your partner or someone that you're dating. So that's anxious attachment style. Then you've got avoidant attachment style. So that's um, often with children, it's where you where the parents only gave them part of what they should have received. So maybe, you know, they had the roof over their head, they had all the, the physical things met, but maybe emotionally their needs were not met. So they feel emotionally empty or neglected. Um, also, this is really big for parents who would um, suppress the child from expressing their emotions. Like don't don't be angry or don't cry or don't don't be frustrated or don't nothing. Like they couldn't, you know. So then as you grow up, often you'll tend to be quite independent and isolated and you kind of avoid um, anything where you're going to have to show raw emotions because you, you are not used to that and it feels like a bit of like a strange world for you. So you even if you do have a partner, you kind of have those walls up. You keep your partner just enough at a distance so they really don't get to know like your deep core emotional, you know, everything that's happening emotionally in you. And then you've got fearful avoidant attachment style. So that's kind of a mix between the avoidant attachment style that I just said and the second one, which is anxious attachment style. So this one's kind of in a child. It normally happens when the child has been emotionally um, abused or physically, but it's kind of like that neglect. So it's pretty serious, this one. And then if you grow up with that kind of fearful avoidant attachment style, so it's really it's really hard for these people to get into a relationship because often the relationships are really unstable, um, quite toxic, uh, because this person is craving the need to feel loved, but at the same time blocking the other person out. So it's this push, pull, push, pull of like, I need to be nurtured, I need to be loved, don't get too close to me, don't get too close. It's very toxic. Um, so like I said, often it is a carry on through from childhood of how you were raised and it carries on through to adulthood. But sometimes you could be raised relatively, you know, in an emotionally healthy way, but then you could have experienced some other kind of emotional trauma along your path that's then caused you to create a new attachment style than what you were raised with. But most of the time it does stem from how you were raised. And it's not necessarily a bad thing on your parents because oftentimes your parents 
are just raising you how they were raised. And it's this carry-on effect, carry-on effect, blah, 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 blah. So unless you're able to really look at your attachment style and what am I doing and why, then you're not going to be able to change it. And if you have children or if you're planning on having children, you've kind of got to look at what attachment style you would want your child to have and obviously a secure attachment style would be ideal and you try and nurture that into them even if that's not what you had. So it is definitely possible to change it but you're not going to be able to change it unless you acknowledge it. So those are the things that we do when we get attached often because our family does represent or our upbringing represent kind of our emotional learning it makes sense that the way we then behave towards our romantic partners would reflect that of how we were raised, how we were taught to feel. So you can reteach yourself, but you need to be displaying, like look look them up, look Google attachment styles and they'll all come up, very similar descriptions. That, I mean, everyone's got slightly different descriptions, but it's pretty much what I said. But if you're interested in knowing your attachment style, you can go quite in depth with this um, and look up what it is that you relate to and what you don't relate to um, and why and kind of you don't have to go into your childhood. Like I'm not one of those people that's like dig into your past. and think. But if you're struggling with letting the wall down or if you're struggling with stepping away from something that you think is bad for you, could it be because of maybe either emotional trauma in your teenage years, maybe you dated someone that fucked you up emotionally or maybe your parents just weren't emotionally available. It might be something like that. Um, or... Maybe neither of the above and there can be an unknown reason why you're feeling the way you're feeling. But again, own it and bring it to the light and that way every time you see yourself acting out, just think, all right, I haven't learnt these emotional patterns properly. I haven't learnt the emotional patterns that I want to be learning to be displaying what I want to be displaying. But you've got to see it as if I'm feeling fearful that someone's going to leave me or that someone's left me and I'll never get that again, it's because I fear abandonment. It's because I fear rejection. And now that I've been rejected, I'm now confirming in my head that it's going to happen again. Instead of thinking, no, nah, I know that love is consistent. I know that it's going to, like, it's just like an ebb and flow, ebb and flow. But ultimately, the love is consistent. I have healthy relationships in my life. If this one didn't work out, it wasn't meant to be. It's all good, whatever. And that's the secure attachment style. So kind of, Every time you find yourself in that inability to move the fuck on from a person or a thing or a place or a friendship or whatever, look at your attachment style and think, am I doing this out of fear if there's an insecurity here and I'm clinging and I'm freaking the fuck out? And that probably would be the um, anxious attachment style, that need to be reassured constantly. And if someone can't give you reassurance, then you think you're not worthy. So if a friend abandons you, you're not worthy of that kind of friendship. If a partner abandons you, you're not worthy of that kind of love. When that's absolutely not the case. It just wasn't right for that person or for you, but it, it's no reflection on you as a person. Awesome. So I just want to summarize this whole, like, in conclusion of the podcast. You've just got to remind yourself that if you're missing a place or a time in your life or a friend or a lover and you're not able to let go, you've got to remember that at least 50% of what you were experiencing is what you brought to the table. That was you, your personality, your humor or your ability to be resilient or your ability to 
kind of step into the unknown. And 50% at least of the experience that you had was you. So when that experience ends or when the relationship ends, that part of you doesn't end. You can take that and bring it into the next experience. So it's not all is lost. A lot of the memories that you think were your actions, things that you did and you said, which you are then capable of doing again in a new in a new place or new experience. So you've got to give yourself a little bit more credit if you're struggling to move on from things. Give yourself the credit of thinking, I still have my personality, I still have my character and my ability to make new experiences is here. I was able to make those ones, I can make new ones. So it's just, it's, it's just a constant ebb and flow, ebb and flow, ebb and flow in life. It's not something that's past and it's never coming back. Think of a tide, it comes, goes, it comes, goes, comes, goes. That's experiences, that's people, that's friends, that's lovers. Some stay forever, some don't. But you bring 50% of it to the table and you always take that with you. When the friendship ends, what you brought to the table, you've kept. They haven't taken it from you. So your ability to have all these things has stayed with you. So you're doing yourself a disservice if you think that you're just a passive person and life is happening to you. All these times that you've had great experiences is because of how you've chosen to act in that situation or how you've chosen to react to a situation or a person. So no, we don't control everything that happens to us and things can happen or things can break down and there's nothing we can do about it. But how long you stay engaged in a situation, you can control. How much energy and emotion you choose to put into that situation, you can control. So the things that you have control over, do something about. The things that you have no control over, acknowledge that you have no control over and how much more are you going to bang on about it because you have that call. You can keep talking about it forever if you want. If being miserable is what floats your boat, then be miserable. But the ideal thing would be to either change what you can change and if you can't change it, move your focus away from that. That's something you can't change. Okay, that sucks, but I'm done putting so much of my time and energy into changing it. I've just got to accept what is if it can't be changed. So take into account everything that I've said. If you're finding that you're struggling to move on, Go back to the self-love podcast. Go back to the Take a Leap of Faith podcast. Listen to them again and hopefully you're able to sort of like link a few things together to help you then move on from things that you're struggling to move forward from. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. That was episode 11. Wow. And also I'm loving how much you guys are sharing it. I'm getting more and more people coming to the podcast and it's all word of mouth. So I'm so, so, so grateful to all of you guys, my listeners, because you guys are just absolute queens and kings for sharing my work. Um, and yeah, I absolutely am absolutely loving, loving, loving doing this. So thank you for the support. As always, if you can keep sharing, um, rate and review and I will see you or speak to you next week. So be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brain, eat good food for your brain, eat some fucking fish oil, guys, and butter. And I will speak to you next week. Bye, my loves. Bye, Duncan.